The year is 1992. I'm Zach. And I'm Tiffany. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we're going through the best of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. I'm Zach, the comic book journeyman, and today I am joined by a writer, a comic uh, creator, a essayist, a critic, and a catfisher. It is Tiffany Babb. Uh, Hi there. Hey, Tiffany. It makes me sound like I'm someone like stalking people online. I'm oh, not uh, technically... <laughs> Oh, is that not? What? not... Oh, okay. Sorry. sorry. No, no, no. It's very funny. Um, a, f- a background <laughs> on the joke is um, I made a joke about what was it? Noodling. Noodling. So, oh, what noodling. what does noodling mean to you? Because you said noodling you were like something like... about like it takes a lot of you know like it's exhausting exactly. to noodle. Um, so, or no, no, no. The idea is that um, one should explore more without any actual purpose in one's work. So, like mm-hmm. to be creative, one should noodle around. Okay. Yeah. I've heard that. And there was some misunderstanding. <laughs> so I, t- to I do took that as the like noodling is like a in the southern US, it's a, a an act like a fishing technique where you wade out into the water and catfish make these burrows under the water in the mud and you stick your hand deep into these burrows and then the catfish will cl- clamp down onto your hand. Like the catfish will bite your hand and then you pull it out with the catfish like attached to your fist. And that's how people catch catfish. It's called noodling. I'm so pleased that you think I was... I'm brave enough to do that. So I didn't I didn't know where you were from and I was like, well maybe she's, you know, in like Mississippi and like oh my god, like I am very impressed. Because you even said like, you know, it's tiring or something like that. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. So uh yeah 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 i mean what what you're doing is cool too but it's not you know just it's not like just sketching out being being yeah. creative it's the same thing as being bit by a catfish <laughs> yes yeah exactly um well thank you thank you so much for joining us on the show where can people find your work tiffany um i'm on twitter and instagram at exploding arrow and then i have a website tiffanybab.com that's last name is b-a-b-b and you can find my monthly newsletter there and like stay up to date with all my writing yeah, I uh, I always like getting that uh, that newsletter in my inbox. Uh, what are you What are you working on lately? Anything exciting coming down the? Yeah, a road? lot of exciting things. A lot of cool pieces. Um, I'm writing a piece on the 10th anniversary of Captain America: The First Avenger, Ooh, which I love does that not feel yeah. like it's 10 years old. Yeah. Um, and just um, I just had a piece out on the Comics Journal, an interview with Junie Ba on Julia, mm. which was I thought turned out well. Neat. Um, and yeah, just. The regular stuff, uh, my stuff in panel by panel. Um, I should have a piece out there next month as well. Definitely, definitely go check all that out. I, I just was scrolling through your site and seeing seeing some of that right there. Um, so before we get started, I just want to say if you want to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear and for as little, little as a dollar a month you can get access to our master spreadsheet, you can uh, join our wonderful Slack community, 
You can get early access to episodes, uh, six months early access to my Ultimate Year episodes, and a bunch of other stuff. Add stuff to the list, even. We've got some, uh, someone just added a bunch of comics for, like, 2000. Some Iron Man issues for the, uh, the year 2000, which, you know, we're not going to cover for another <laughs> year, at least. But I appreciate the initiative, so... Um, okay, without further ado, let's get into this episode, which is All Peter David. Uh, I did not realize this when I sat down to read these today. We're reading some X-Factor, Incredible Hulk, and Hulk Future Imperfect, all pen er, uh, written by Peter David. Different artists on it. Um, but, and when you came here before, you actually were here for, I think, the start of Peter David's Hulk run. And you asked yeah. to come here on, the, you chose this episode out of the options that, that we had for 1992. Was, was that intentional? Did you choose Hulk twice on purpose? Um, probably. I mean, I do like the Hulk in yeah, general, yeah. and I liked, um, <clears throat> I think I liked last time stuff a little more than this time stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I, but it's also kind of decades too. It's like the style of comics in the nineties. It's very nineties. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, obviously we're, we're looking at three comics with, from the same writer. Um, but it just, Every panel, every image, it's just, you can look at it and you're just like, this is from the 90s, from a very specific type of comic, um, for a very specific audience. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like, I always I always enjoy looking at what the Hulk is doing, but it's also one of those things where um, when the Hulk is done well, it's, it's very good, mm -hmm. and then when he's not done well, he's very boring. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, he's yeah, just that's... so powerful. And it's just like, well, what do we do? We find, you know, another Hulk. It's true. When you, when you get, like, middling Hulk stories, it's kind of like Superman, where it's just, like, people don't know what to do with him sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, having him, like, he's so powerful that just having him fight something else that's very powerful, it's like, you have to find something else interesting. And I, I think Peter David has found that in this character. I think Peter David has rejuvenated the Hulk in what we've read so far. We've skipped, like, two years of reading Peter David's Hulk for the club. Um, but like introducing, uh, the different personalities of the different Hulks, we went through the Joe Fixit era and gray Hulk, the smart Hulk, the kind of like push pull between Banner and the Hulk. And then the converging of the two, like Bruce Banner is completely sidelined now. And yeah. the Hulk is very smart and he's very present. Um, and, uh, it is also, so what's happening, we'll cover incredible Hulk first. This is 397 through 400. We're clearly jumping in the middle of some big stuff right there's um hulk is working with a team called the pantheon um and it is like run by a guy named agamemnon there's another guy there who can like create spiritual weapons which is kind of neat um and th this whole thing is that the leader enlists the help of the pantheon which is i don't know too much about them exactly uh they are here and very little else i think i don't know if they have hu a huge marvel footprint um but they're run by Agamemnon, who's like half god, and he wants his help to. Def the leader wants Agamemnon's help to defend his freehold, which is like his little utopian society that he's built, like under a glacier in Canada. I think that's the the thrust here. What happens is you get a lot of like, here's a team of five guys versus another team of five guys, and they're all punching each other, and it, it's tough sometimes. That is the most like '90s comic. Like we have to have a big action scene. We have to have a lot of like crazy characters bashing off each other and it does become a little bit white noise to me at least like the yeah. ufos and the riot squad and the pantheon and the hulk is in the middle of this and uh it, it's hard to have engaging action when there's like 15 players happening 
it really does feel like that. It also, just listening to, like, the names of these teams, it sounds like they're bands. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, everyone's kind of interchangeable. And obviously, teams in general, the characters are interchangeable. But, like, in these specifically, it's just, like, okay, so why do, like, why do I care? Like, obviously, we know this guy's the bad guy. Um, because we've been told he's a bad guy. We, there's a history of the bad guyness. Killed 5,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, but... There, it's it's just fighting. It's just there's no there's no like serious character. It doesn't feel like there's any character stuff going on. Which is interesting because that's really been his strength is the character stuff. Yeah. And, it, and even in X Factor, I think something that he's really strong at in X Factor is having like here's a cast of five weirdos, and you're like, oh, I kind of I kind of got like a taste of each one. Like they mm-hmm. each make sense to me. I feel like I get a glimpse into like each of their characters. Uh, like sometimes the fights makes sense and I'm kind of following I mean that's something I was really thinking like it's remarkable how superhero comics are so action and combat focused well it's also one of the things that comics are it's really incredibly hard to write engaging action in a comic (laughs) book yeah I think it's like one of the hardest things and I wonder I I have a hard time remembering like how many really great fight scenes have I seen where it's more than like one or two or four people involved like when it's these like six on six fights like how how often does that work because there's just not a lot of space to look at what everybody's doing right Mm -hmm. and like really truly how many you know how many different character pairings can you really care about Mm -hmm. (laughs) like there's you see a lot of this justification and a lot of the quips and stuff of like this is why we care about this person punching this person Mm -hmm. and they have nothing in common other than the fact that they're punching each other um and it is it does feel a lot like here's a bunch of toys. We're smashing them against each other. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think a successful action scene needs to have, it either needs to have stakes, real stakes that Mm -hmm. you feel. And then the stakes need to be conveyed through the action where you like feel like, Oh no, they're going to lose. (laughs) Right. Like if you don't feel that, Oh no, when things are going poorly, then I like, don't see the point or it just needs to be really creative action. Right? Like, mm-hmm. there are good action scenes where it's really well drawn and the actual, you know, it's you know, it, it's like a John Wick where even if you're not, like, incredibly emotionally invested, it's just very, like, artfully done and yeah. you can see, like, a real talent behind what's being drawn. I, I don't even think this is, like, egregiously bad. I think it's just no. kind of, it's just kind of fine. It can um, feel repetitive, I think, is the issue more than it's, like, like, it, a lot of action looks good. Um, there, there's some little tricks here and there in, in these issues that I think are actually really cool. Um, but there's just doesn't feel like there's an, uh, like enough other stuff in the issue to justify mm-hmm. yeah. any of it. And so it just kind of falls flat. And the, the end of this is that like the master and his team of weirdos are <clears throat> fighting their way into the Pantheon's headquarters. And then the master just sidesteps the whole thing and then, like, talks to Agamemnon and comes out and just like, we, we had an agreement while the fight happened. So it's like the entire fight is just completely pointless. And it just, like, yes. really underlines the, like, yeah, we're, we're just having a fight because that's what's expected. Which is funny. And I actually kind of liked that ending because, like, if I cared more about the fight, it would have landed harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's yeah. just this that little panel where, like, the Hulk is dealing with the fact that his fighting had nothing to do with, like, how things ended up. Yeah, and I thought that was funny. The, the other, <clears throat> the other side plot here is that Rick Jones <laughs> has been adopted. Oh dear! 
<laughs> oh, Rick dear. Jones has been adopted by someone who like raised him in the orphanage and he like found his mother and it may or may not be his biological mother. And then she turns out that she's like a serial killer who kidnaps boys and chains them up to protect them from the outside. It's terrifying. World. Yeah, it's, it's it's actually really scary. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little creepy. It's very like of the 90s like serial killer, mm-hmm. you know, a, obsession, right? Like mm-hmm. um, in pop culture. And uh in the th- how this plays out is that Betty Banner and Margo Mar- Marlo Chandler mm-hmm. go to rescue Rick Jones. And I think this action scene is actually the the one that works the most, which is just I was these, just like, gonna say that too. Yeah, these three women fighting because it's just three normal women fighting with a knife in between them. Yes. It's not even Marlo it, actually when it starts out, Marlo's already been killed. So it's mm-hmm. just Betty versus this this woman. Um But because, the stakes are high because Marlo's literally just got gotten murked. Right. And Betty's just a woman and this woman yeah. has a knife and you know, like you could feel like, oh no, she might get hurt here, right? So they're they're definitely like the stakes are established. Um but that doesn't happen. Uh, this woman is, you know, I, I can't remember. She's incapacitated and taken away, mm-hmm. arrested. Um, but the takeaway here is Marlo is killed. This is Rick Jones' fiance, I think, at this point. Um, I'm not sure if they're married. But Rick Jones is frantically going around to, like, Doctor Strange, Reed Richards, trying to get someone to be able to bring her back to life, and they keep turning him down. Um, you know, just to saying that that's not possible. Um he gets the master comes up to him and says i can do it and he kind of makes like this you know devil's bargain with the master uh and he goes to master's freehold where (sighs) yeah definitely part of this is we have skipped around a bunch for the club um some of this is leading into stuff we did read where the master destroyed this town in the midwest and some of these people are like taken from there and you know you're clearly feeling the repercussions of that I, I still had a hard time getting invested in, like, the Master's Freehold, because it's, like, his his aims are a little nebulous. It's, like, he has a guy there who, when he blew up the town in the Midwest, um, he has this guy who got gamma powers, and his gamma powers are that he can restore anyone's soul. <laughs> oh, yeah, soul, soul man, soul guy, something soul like man, that. Soul man, I think, yeah, Oof. right. Rough name. Yeah, very, <laughs> yeah, right, it's just, like, a, you know, this aged white priest called Soul Man. Um yeah, you know, and they're going to try to resuscitate Marlo, and then there's a big fight because Hydra is attacking, and Hulk is there trying to fight the Master, and I don't know, it uh, it just doesn't, it never quite clicks and comes together. It all happens in 400 for me, and I just, I never found it, like, too engaging. I, I don't know exactly, like, what, what is missing here. I, I like the Master, and I kind of like the Master's playing off of the Hulk. Like, I, I think mm-hmm. that, that can be fun. I, I think there's just a a lack of, like, clear objectives for, like, what could go wrong, what can go right, you know, like, you kind of need to understand, like, again, the stakes, again. Yeah, it feels very hokey, I think, and I think that hokiness comes from Rick Jones's reaction. Like, (laughs) he's just so over-the-top silly, and he's barging into Doctor Strange's house and breaking teapots, (laughs) and, like, it's just such... It's too much, mm-hmm. and I feel like there's a way to play it. So we actually really felt for Rick Jones. Right now, we're looking at it, and he seems, number one, super selfish and deluded. But then, oh, also, when he goes to, like, talk to people about bringing Marlo back, people are, like, the world's worst reactors. They're, like, quipping and stuff. Like, he and shows I'm a like... picture to Johnny Storm, and he's just like... Yes. 
hubba hubba what a lady like <laughs> it's so strange and it's just like they can't like these characters can't really respond like that when people die do they yeah um they, yeah, i mean a little yeah, it's so strange and then and like Do- oh wait dr strange even like <laughs> like because rick jones barges in he's all emotional and then dr strange is like before I help you, you must apologize to Wong and apologize to me. <laughs> and then he's like, here, drink a cup of uh, Wong's tea. It will help uh, wash down the crow you had to eat. Oh my gosh. It's <laughs> so ridiculous. And it's so, it's just so, it's so weird. It's just like every bit, like every bit of the Rick Jones stuff talking to the other heroes is strange and bizarre. And you would think these heroes would have experience. Like even Johnny Storm does this whole like, which is also funny. I've lost, like, the women that I love, like, every single day of my life. Yes, that's true. And, <laughs> which is so funny. Such a weird thing to say. And also, like, you would think they would all have more experience with how to deal with a grieving superhero. Mm-hmm. Or a grieving person yeah, in the oh, sphere. please don't call Rick Jones a superhero. I guess. <laughs> Even though he <laughs> really... The sphere. The, the conversation his between dream. him and his mom does start out with him being like, and then Cap took me, uh, patted me on the shoulder and said, like, <laughs> so you're, you're a fighter and you always will be, Rick, or something cheesy oh, like dear. that. Oh, dear. It's incredible. Oh, man. But, but yeah, so, like, the Rick Jones stuff, it's him barting in places, trying to get his girlfriend back. And then, like... The stuff at the end I actually liked, where it's like, okay, well, now we have Rick Jones and the Hulk on separate sides of this fight, and Rick mm-hmm. Jones wants to stop it for, for personal reasons, and the Hulk's not sure what to do, which is kind of a great dilemma to end up with. I just feel like the lead up to that was all just so over-the-top ridiculous that you're just not involved at the end. Yeah, it's a little muddled, and it's too much in, like, the mystery of what's happening. You know, it's like, you can't unveil everything that's happening in the conclusion you know so um i I do want to point out because this is just for our club's sake they'll they'll appreciate this um johnny storm does say one of the worst things we've read in the club is that johnny storm and alicia masters got married and it's one of the most (laughs) baffling marvel decisions and it's it's been undone somewhere i'm not sure but what happened is that alicia masters has been a scrawl this entire time oh right (laughs) not like since the very beginning but like since she married johnny and so like alicia dies yeah, the scroll, the, the scroll, Alicia, um, and then so she's back with uh, Ben, which is the way it should be. Like one of the most inexplicable. I think that was John Byrne, and like really the only one big thing in that run that I was like just absolutely mortified by. Um, yeah, I think I think that's more or less it. I think this ends this ends with the Master seemingly killed by the Hulk and uh, Marlo. Ha- like the the process was interrupted, and Marlo has not been rejuvenated because it's something like he the master can clearly bring people back to life but can't bring their soul back without soul oh right because there's thunderbolt ross right he's just a walking like husk just a body man. yeah which is really <laughs> which is also just and they have that little thing where they're like oh i wonder what happened to his body we were looking for it and it's like you wouldn't like get more information if you found out your father's body was even if you hated him like you kind of want to know where it was right yeah 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 i didn't i mean i missed that detail that his body was missing uh, back in those issues but apparently um yeah so that's that's the hulk i i think i i appreciate i i do appreciate the swings that peter david is taking right like i think the weird teams he's introducing he's bringing in these new characters like he's not resting on his laurels at all i think he's mm-hmm. trying to add in new stuff i just think like it, it's not constructed like tightly enough um you know like it, I, I think in comparison comparison to x-factor which we can talk about now x-factor mm-hmm. i think really works um 
And I think he does a really good job juggling a lot of little threads. The pacing feels pretty spot on. And it always feels to me that like I'm getting a good drip feed of information and new like stories building throughout, right? Like the stakes do seem to be building throughout this. So when things come to a head, like I have had the runway built to it. Um, So 75 through X Factor 75 through 78, I think. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, It's introducing Mr. Sinister and his nasty boys. (laughs) I was dying. I just love it. Um, They should bring the nasty boys back. Like, it's amazing. Very strange. I So my only exposure to Mr. Sinister was like the Inferno plotline in uh, in Claremont's run when he's introduced, mm-hmm. really. And then uh, I actually don't think that was Claremont. I think that might have been Louise Simonson. I have zero um, X-Men experience. Okay. Um, he, he's usually, like, in the past, he has been a very serious, like, arch villain. And here he's kind of like an exasperated roommate to the Nasty Boys. Which is very funny. <laughs> it's really he's good. He's coming in just like, what is happening here? It's he's just terrible. Like, what is that uh, that, that uh, spot of filth in the corner <laughs> in like slab, I think? It's like, is it the gray junk or the, the gray gunk or the green gunk? And he's like, the green. And he's like, oh, that's bold that I'm doing, you know, like. Amazing. Like he's just exasperated by all these like idiots that he's working with. And it, it, it's kind of funny. Like he he's not a joke character himself but him just being mm-hmm. surrounded by joke characters and being just kind of like always sighing at their antics is a little funny yes um i really like the x-factor team we, we talked about this before peter david is bringing like I, I think he's got a pretty light touch with this like it does a good job balancing the like the soap opera the like sitcom yeah. one-liners like it's very like snappy dialogue there's a lot of dialogue but it doesn't feel like oppressively dense to me like claremont sometimes could because i think mm-hmm. He, he's talking in character a lot and the characters aren't just speaking plot. You know, yes. I think that's, <laughs> that's why I this think works. Like, like, yeah, there's a lot of kind of, I think he chooses like one or two relationships to focus on. Mm-hmm. And then like we use those as thorough lines. Like, okay, we have the plot and then they react to the plot and that mm-hmm. affects kind of their relationships and then it keeps moving. And I think that's a really great way of kind of, um, of, making the reader pay attention to what's happening in the dialogue when the dialogue balloons are sometimes a little wordy um, Mm -hmm. or when there's like a lot of, there's just a lot of characters right here. And so caring a a little bit about who cares about who's on the other team or whatever, like that gives us something else to hold on to beyond the fighting and then the bad guys. And like, he does a good job of keeping it moving enough and light on its feet enough that even characters that I feel like, like, oh, well, this is an X-Men guy I just don't recognize or something. Like, I never mm-hmm. feel bogged down by not... Like, there's a there's a through line here for a few issues of this guy called Vic Chalker. And he's clearly, like, this anti-mutant scientist who's trying to build, like, a battle mech suit. And we get, like, two or three scenes of him just... And it's just this little aside... I don't know what it has to do with the main story. I have no idea how this ties in the main X Factor. It's just a few single pages. And he's just like, I've created the most powerful battle suit of all time. Time to exterminate all mutants. And then, like, realizes that it uses too much energy and he's locked in his suit. And then, that like. That was hilarious. And I just, it was actually really, um, I think there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of inside jokes about the silliness of mm. a lot of what the X books touch on. Like, the over-the-top villains and, like, people 
And, like, Peter David just kind of pushes them a little further for comedic effect, mm-hmm. like t- the guy getting stuck in his suit, because you're you're wa- you're reading these panels, and you're like, okay, well, this is going to be the next person they're going to have to fight. Yep. And he, like, he's stuck there. He can't even move. Like, no one's even helping him out of the suit. And then, and then it follows up with he... He's like, all right, I fixed my power supply problem. Time to go exterminate all mutants. And he steps outside and he's like, oh, I thought the forecast called for sunny weather. And it starts raining and he gets electrocuted <laughs> and he's dead. That's it. Like, that's the end Done. of him. Like, you see, I, I don't, it's not super clear, but in the corner, you can see that it's just like a charred skeleton in the suit now. And I, I can't Amazing. remember. Another X Factor guy is like flying by and it's just like, oh, interesting statue. <laughs> <laughs> a good joke Um, it is and i feel like there's like there is a lot of and sometimes it works better than others but there's a lot of like little misdirect bits here and Mm. there in these issues um just kind of where is a real problem going to come in what is this character going to do Mm -hmm. um especially when it comes to the doctor um who is to their the what is it the mlf is that what they're called yeah the mutant liberation front okay which are like the you know like these are the the bad, you know, mutant extremists yeah, who will go, the, you know, the, the violent animal, ones. Animal Liberation Front. Animal, um, yeah. So they're, like, going after this doctor, right? And Who, who's there's... Who's, like... Oh, I'm sorry. No, please. please oh, no, no, no. No, no I, I don't want to interrupt. No, I was just going to say that, like, they're going after this doctor, and we have, like, these two warring sides on whether or not we protect the doctor um, or not. And I thought that was such a smart button to hang like a lot of little character bits off of because mm-hmm. then you see all of the characters reacting in different ways and you see kind of where they stand and the personal decisions that they make around topics like these um and this, i thought that was, was really interesting so so did you like did you think this worked this this like plot thread of because it, i i think it's clearly it's talking about abortion yeah. Right? It never uses the word abortion but it's clearly what's up like oh, yeah. it starts out with an issue of like parents getting a genetic test saying like that their baby has like a 55% chance of being a mutant. And they're, you know, horrified and talking, you know, and the doctor's like, well, it's your own choice, you know, what you want to do, how to proceed, right? Like, it's all out of, you know, dancing around the saying exactly what's happening. Yeah. Um, and it, it's strange, like, it's, I think as a discussion purely rooted in the, like, the mutant conversation, it's fine and kind of interesting, but like I think the parallel there is so close to like you know it's very dangerous. Your baby has Down syndrome, right? It like, is. It is. It, I think it's like really mimicking that conversation, and so like there was a level of it where I was just like very uncomfortable. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> with... work. Like it works within the story, but it doesn't work when you're drawing it back to reality. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. And again, I guess it depends on how you're reading it, mm-hmm. um, because there is this kind of conversation about, like, they literally say, we are saving mutant lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but you're right. Like, there's this huge swing the other way where it's like, okay, so are you now against anybody allowed, uh, like, being allowed to have abortions, right? Yeah. Um, like, there's a lot of weird places where it just, it becomes another thing without even like leaving what it is. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. If you, if you don't, st- I mean, like it's hard not to, if you don't step outside the realm of it just being about mutants, I think it's, it works more or less. Okay. As soon as you start like interrogating it on a level of yeah reality, like you said, then you're kind of like, Oh, um, I don't know if I want to like keep digging. <laughs> you know, yes. like, I, I don't really want to know too much more about like where he stands here. Cause it's, it's a little messy and a little blase. 
about. about it is. This. There's a lot of. I feel like that's kind of to me what felt like a theme in in this X Factor, um, in in these issues was that there seemed to be a lot of ideological mm. ideas that were not fully thought through that were very surface level, kind of racist. Yeah, that, um, I, I was gonna. We're gonna get to that. I think. <laughs> yeah, and it just it felt very kind of. Well, I'm gonna make a statement, but like. I don't know if, number one, if the statement's any good, or whether or not he actually knew what statement he was making. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, and like, it just, it's, yeah, those parts felt weak to me. So we can go into it uh, explicitly. X-Factor 76 is this, like, cutaway to, it, it's mixing in with the Hulk, and honestly, we kind of could have skipped this for our purposes. Um, but, like, they are in a, I think, a fictional um, Middle Eastern country fighting alongside... I don't know, like, we're missing a lot of the context because of Hulk. And, like, the editor's notes are like, no, seriously, go read Hulk. All right, are you <laughs> sure you're not going to? I bet you wish you did. Like, so there, there's a, a bunch missing the context of exactly what's happening. But Rain Sinclair is kidnapped by this guy who's, like, purportedly on the side of who X-Factor is fighting with, right? Like, and he's not Muslim, right? But, right. like, it's clear that's what... Peter it's Davis doing, like it's just like yeah well, I'm a religious extremist who treats women you know like they are second class citizens totally subservient to men etc but like like part of me was like I don't know do you, do you think this would be like better if he was just like out out and out about it like saying it directly because like part of this like hiding it behind this like vague like made up religion that we don't even really hear explicitly like felt so much like worse and more cowardly to me you know it's like i almost was like i i don't know if it's better to have something i feel like, like it's frank- racist either way it, yeah. it ha- it's just as bad either way and it's so yeah. there's this kind of gotcha moment where he's like well your countries in the west are mm-hmm. like just as bad you just like um keep it under wraps and she's like yeah but we're like not afraid to speak out about it and that's the difference and i was like this is so bad <laughs> Yeah. Like beyond just like I mean it's egregious and it's just gross and weird and bad. I mean um, it's, it's and, mostly yeah. lazy and so like like you said surface level, right? Like it's a it very is. like it's a very like teenager view of like oh yeah thinking about the you know like different cultures and you know sexism in different cultures, right? Like ingrained mm-hmm. sexism in different cultures and just being like this bad. Like yes. us good. And it this feels bad. like <laughs> very rich considering how the women are drawn. <laughs> in this issue which is just like i mean it is i mean it is the 90s right really I, is, don't, I don't think i actually like particularly noticed that in it's this one. wild with a male gaze yeah, um okay. and that, like that, that was not just as... funny poses and yeah, well, poses, just yeah. you know yeah, it's... it's like the pants aren't real pants it's practically like they're naked sure yeah oh i mean larry stroman draws Yes, a lot of long legs here, right? Like oh, and also there's one thing that I noticed that I don't think I've ever noticed before, um, but the women their feet are never like flat on the ground. Um, yeah. They're always like pointed, like even if they're like yeah. like most of the time, um, even if they're just standing, they're like standing, but like almost as if they're on their toes, huh. <laughs> which I found so yeah. like like they're wearing heels really, yeah, um, but without yeah. wearing heels. And I just found that so funny. Um, it's, just it's just a little kind of thing like, I hadn't yeah, noticed more, before. A more feminine way of standing. <laughs> like women yeah, well, it's like a slim, toes. like, pin-up pose. Yeah. Um, yeah but, yeah. like, they're just, they'll be, like, standing or sitting, and their toes will be pointed. 
Interesting. I, you know what? Like I, oh well, you know what? I just opened up seventy six, and it is kind of a wild shot of uh, Rain's breasts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, you know what? I, I, I think like my brain is just so poisoned by Marvel comics overall that this seems pretty tame by like the you know the general vibe of things. I believe uh, you. I don't. I have not read a lot of stuff from the nineties in recent history, and I just yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely can see what you're saying. Um, so that that one doesn't really go anywhere else. We get back to the the main thing, which is like the mutant liberation front and this this thing with the the doctor. Um, I guess the few points I want to bring up, I really like the stuff going on with Jamie Madrix. That that happened. That yes. started in some issues before where he like one of his c- copies was assassinated, and he was like, "Oh no! All right, well, let me absorb the body," and then he couldn't, <laughs> and he was horrified to find out that like oh no, like, I made a copy and it died. Like, was this a real person? And then mm-hmm. another copy comes up and is like, I'm the real Jamie, and they're both <laughs> thinking this, right? And at this point, the the fake Jamie has gaslit the real Jamie into thinking that he's the fake Jamie, right? So, like, the f- real Jamie allows himself to be absorbed back into the fake Jamie Madrox, which is really fun. I think that's it a really fun. cool And it's interesting. And you really see, like, the team really believes fake Jamie. Mm-hmm. Like, no questions. They're just like, oh, yeah, of course this guy's the real guy. And then later on, when real Jamie's like, I can't believe you did this. Like, they're like, oh, I guess we will apologize a little for, like, imprisoning <laughs> you. Whatever. Yeah. Eye roll. Um, it, it's so weird. It, I just, I really like the idea. It's like the, the farther, the longer um, one of them is separate, the more they become their own person. Mm-hmm. And this this one, specifically like just kept sneaking off and he was yeah. like on his own team in the 80s there was like a fallen angel miniseries and it's like written in that this was the jamie madrox in that miniseries it was a completely different one and he talks about how he'd have to just like sneak off at night to like <laughs> join another That's super so team funny. but um, then ultimately yeah. they just the real one emerges right yes. which, which i kind of like like it's just like eventually he just is like oh no and then he curls up into a little ball and the real one pops out <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, which was an interesting like visual like that's not how yeah. i thought they would go with combi- with bringing them back together but i liked it It felt creative yeah like he almost it's like there's a little black hole at the center of him and he like yes. implodes and then the real one bursts out with like his different clothes on <laughs> even, mm-hmm. right like he has a different uniform entirely um yeah i think that's more or less it is there any other i mean strife comes in here he's back uh Mr. Sinister, like, they both have these different plans. Mr. Sinister clearly has some big plans with, like, a senator that he's manipulating. There's, like... I, I think Larry David's laying tracks for, like, a long-term story here. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm into it. I'm, like, generally pretty excited about this series um, as someone who's been, like, a little tired by mutants for a while. Um, yeah. I feel like this has been a nice shot in the arm. Uh, yeah, and it does feel least. like the story feels like it has weight and that it has stakes and there's enough happening and there's like, it follows different perspectives well. Um, I was surprised how much um, I liked like 60% of the art. Like mm-hmm. there's 40% that I was like, oh, I, it felt very kind of boring and um, flat to me. But then there were certain parts, especially some of the action scenes mm-hmm. that were, that were more creative that I was just kind of like, this is, this is cool. This looks cr-. like anytime they're going through like a portal or something and, or like, is that Havoc who, who has like mm-hmm. the, the, hits, the any of that stuff? Hits. It just looks cool. 
Strowman's got a cool style. Like he's really angular with like faces. He gets like, like it, there's, there's like Aeon, did Aeon Flux come before or after this? Like there's a little bit of that with like these like really tall, tall lanky bodies. Mm -hmm. And then, um, like these very like sharp angular faces with like strong chins and like really solid noses. Oh yeah. Aeon Flux was like running right now. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but like, I'm not pretty, pretty similar, uh, kind of aesthetic going on <clears throat> um yeah yeah I'm, I'm kind of a big fan of his yeah and i thought the colors look great too um, yeah i mean i don't were... know how they would look on paper but yeah. they look great on the screen yeah al milgram al milgram inking and uh glennis oliver is doing colors here but yeah i really i really like all that um okay so finally the third peter david comic oh before we get to that we have to do an ad real quick Ooh. so we'll be right back if you're listening to this podcast, you clearly love comics. You may even love deep, analytical takes on comics. So we think you might like Super Serious 616. Super Serious 616 is a podcast that explores what it would be like to live through the beginning of the modern Marvel age of comics. It is unlike any podcast that you have heard before. Mike and Ed talk about the public events from the early Silver Age of Marvel Comics as if those events were actually happening. As superpowered heroes and villains, gods, and monsters become everyday occurrences, Mike and Ed talk about the ramifications of the changes thrust upon the world. Would the Fantastic Four be welcomed as costumed do-gooders, or would their motives be questioned? Will there be superpowered Cold War with Russia? Will the appearance of Thor in the emergence of gods from ancient myths lead people to re-examine their own religious beliefs? Is Iron Man a good use of Stark Core shareholder capital? If Reed Richards had developed podcast technology in the 1960s Marvel Universe, this would be the show everyone would be listening to. So join Mike and Ed every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Super Serious 616 as they chart the evolution of the Marvel Universe from the ground up as it happens. All right, back to the show. Okay, so lastly, we have Hulk Future Imperfect, which is, I I guess, a mini-series? It's two issues. It's like two oversized issues. It's not exactly mini i don't know what to call it um and uh it's peter david again and it is penciled and inked by george perez colors by tom smith um joe rosen on letters this is uh well first george perez super excited when i saw that he was doing this i love his artwork um Mm -hmm. i'm such a big fan of his stuff and people on the show have heard me talk about his wonder woman a million times but i adore the uh the art in that comic um, and we just saw him do some of the Infinity War. He stepped in for Ron Lim on Infinity War, so it's cool seeing him do more work here. Um, this is two oversized issues of a dystopia, dystopian future, like 80 years in the future, something like that, where the Hulk, named Maestro here, is just this like totalitarian ruler over the wasteland that was destroyed by atomic bombs, right? Like, the last vestiges of humanity are here, and the Hulk, the bearded Hulk, is here, you know, ruling with an iron fist. Um, what, what did you think about this, overall? I... I thought it was... You know, it feels like a lot of the comics of its type. I, I was really... Maybe... I mean, if I really tried, I'm sure the dialogue wouldn't be that bad. But I was just like, I don't want to read this. Like, it's all this, like, you know, futuristic, like, dangerous lingo. Um, yeah. And I'm just... And it's just... It's not even, like, one or two words. It's, like, all of it. Um, that felt really rough. But um, there are parts that I really liked. Um 
there was the kind of short origin story with the with like little bits of the Hulk's past in these circular images mm-hmm. that were like scanned from his from their memories or something. And I thought that was really cool. Um, and there were like you know I don't know it just felt. I felt like I'd seen it before. Obviously, yeah, they, I would feel that less when I was reading back then. But, like, even reading back mm, then, like, there's there a bunch like, of stuff coming. Stanley and Jack Kirby did a lot of these, like, it's the year, you know, 2310. And, look, it's this dystopia after nuclear war. And, you know, the Avengers have to go there and stop King the Conqueror. Yeah. Like, and here's, like, a skeleton of, like, your friend. <laughs> right. Right. I think the artwork is great. Like, I, I think George Perez does these big, really detailed panels of stuff. I, re- I really like the art throughout. I think there's, like, a lot of fun, creative panel layouts here. I kind of agree. Like, I, I had a good enough time with this. It was only 96 pages for the whole mm-hmm. thing. You know, it didn't, like, overstay its welcome. I was a little disappointed at how, like, kind of generic it was. How, like, if I pitched you that idea, what I said at the beginning of, like, it's a dystopia, post-apocalyptic, apocalyptic, Apocalypse, jeez, dystopian post-apocalypse uh, where the Hulk is ruling after all the heroes are dead. Like that's basically it. Like it doesn't get more complicated. It doesn't add more nuance. It doesn't add more like of the culture or the like the specifics of what's happening. And I think that's like all of that is just like these characters' names are Pizviz and Scooter, and they say <laughs> yes. you know like when they cuss, they say Frolk instead of the yeah. F word. Like, oh, and that's, but you know. Uh, they say bitchin' in it. Which and is, I was like, ooh, that feels but, spicy. But for Marvel, yeah, for sure. For, uh, by a mile, my favorite Rick Jones moment. Like, is, is that, <laughs> there's a panel where, like, because Rick Jones is the only person from, like, modern day Marvel. Of course. Who's still alive here. I hate Rick Jones. Like, I hate the little <laughs> warp. It's um, very annoying. But, like, you know, Hulk meets this old man in a wheelchair who's just like, and he doesn't know who he is. And he's just like, let me remind you. And he pulls out a harmonica and starts playing the song, you know, so from weird. like the first Hulk issue, right? Where he like, <laughs> he, tra- you know, or forced Bruce Banner to save him because he was playing harmonica in a bomb site. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. And then he's like, yeah, pretty bitchin', huh? Like it, that, that kind of worked. And I thought that was pretty fun. It was funny. It was it like, there's a lot of, I think what you're saying is right. Is that like, um, it's exactly what you think it's gonna be. It's doing nothing. Like, like with the like, you could take a dystopia and throw on a a shiny coat of, but also this is happening, or mm-hmm. but also yeah. this represents this. But it's like your typical like you know women are all in bikinis, <laughs> and like are being bought and sold in the markets. Um, at some point, the the maestro says helpless female. Oh no, no, maybe the Hulk says that, and I was just like, this is just so paint by numbers every single panel yeah. um i did like seeing wolverine skeleton with a long adamantium that, oh, well you know what Honestly, <laughs> on a normal skeleton <laughs> i mean in, in it's cheap fan service for oh, sure it's so silly. but like the most fun i had was just that huge double splash page of rick jones has like a museum to the old world oh yeah superheroes and all the fun like a million easter eggs that george perez puts in here so yeah like wolverine's entire adamantium skeleton did you see beasts fur i did not beast is hung up like a bear oh carpet in the back there's like a, next to a frame photo of him is just like his his fur is hanging on well, the it's wall. better than betty being in a bottle oh well just like a bunch of people are just i uh, guess but it's just like they're it's like not oh, well i don't know urn. i'd rather be it's... like <laughs> cream it in urn than like have my fur hung on the wall or my skeleton on display like uh 
Wolverine. It's it's pretty rough. And, and just because I have to point it out for our club, because they'll want the stilt man stilts are included like th- in three different panels. They're like very. Oh my god, I didn't here. even catch that. Yeah, yeah, they they keep popping up like the Hulk trips over them at some point. There's there's something. There's one other one here that I thought was really funny. Um, there's like a, a Galactus. Weird... There was a Galactus. Like I don't know if it was actually his head, but there was, that was like that was the Sentinel. That was the Sentinel. Oh, head. was it? That was okay, just being I thought used it was Galactus. Like, a, yeah. like with the horn chopped off. Yeah, no, I mean they're both you know kind of classic Kirby designs. That purple look. I don't know. It's like everyone's helmet is here and all the different Iron Man things. Yeah, all all that was a lot of fun. Um, and I I like when the uh, the Maestro bursts in. Rick Jones picks up the Captain America shield. Um, to like fend him off, he punches the shield and then knocks Rick Jones backwards into Wolverine's skeleton. <laughs> he yes. just gets impaled on Wolverine's claws. <laughs> Which is just amazing. Also, yeah. now that I think about it, how did they move Thor's hammer? That's a good point because, like, yeah, Maestro tries to pick it up and he's like, he's yes. long dead and, uh, you know, I still can't pick it up. If so, Rick Jones um, picked up the hammer, uh, I will be God. sorely is, disappointed. I, I don't understand Marvel writer's obsession with Rick Jones. Like, he's like, do you know Snapper Carr from DC? No. He, he's a very similar character. He's like the teenage sidekick to the Justice League back in the Golden Age, like way back in the 40s or 50s. And he's just like, I'm the teenager who like hangs out with the team. And like, I'm Snapper Car. You know that? Because I snap my fingers. And he's oh, like, dear. and he's just constantly snapping his fingers like, call me Snapper, snap, snap. Like, and it's horrifying. But you know, like mostly is a is an old relic. I mean, it's self it's self insert. It's like the the well, yeah, people no. who are writing grew up with wanting to be Rick Jones because Rick Jones got to hang out with everyone. And then when they're adults at writing comics, they're like, "But now Rick Jones is a little older, has a cool leather jacket, and like a cool modern haircut, which he's is got just an ear, hilarious." One, one hoop earring, yeah, right. Yes, and like now he's the cool guy because I am Rick Jones. Except, except that, and like, it's like, why is he there? <laughs> not cool I, the, the, like, the, not cool. the, the best uh, when i really like rick jones it's when someone like writes him just being like him desperate to try to find like a, someone to be sidekick to again right like mm-hmm. i used to be sidekick to captain marvel and captain america and like him just like really like you know basically star f-ing, basically yes <laughs> he that. is and, he 100 percent is yeah. and it's like he's i mean this this creepy trophy room is exactly that too right oh, it's yeah. like it's not even like here are it's almost like here are my glory days when I got to hang out with all these Because, like, he's Captain people. America's sidekick for, like, s- six issues, maybe? Like, it's not long. And when Captain Marvel, <clears throat> the whole thing is that he vanishes when Captain Marvel comes out, right? Like, mm-hmm. they, they, he clacks his alarm bands together and then Rick Jones goes and, like, sits by himself while Captain Marvel fights. So it's not like... Yeah, I don't know. He keeps... he In these issues, those Hulk ones, a few times he's like, yeah, I learned from the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because now that you mentioned that he's not cool, he is very much what a nerd thinks is cool. Like, back in the 90s, obviously. Sure, like, yeah. here are all of his toys. He has the best toys. And, and, and he wears just... a leather jacket, and then he has a hot girlfriend. Yeah, and that just doesn't age well. It's kind of like Xander and Buffy, where, like, the farther yes. you get away from that, the more you're just like, the oh, man, this is. is just a weird self-insert of Joss Whedon, huh? And it really, like, yeah. really shows up. Um... All right. Is, is there anything else? I I like? I really like Maestro's design. I like. Mm-hmm. I wish he was cooler. I wish he was not just Hulk. He's yeah. basically just like Hulk, but like a little meaner. It would have right? been like, cool if he had like tech or something. Like just, just, just anything something. to like make this, you know, like to, to add some specificity to this. You know, I think that's really what it's missing. Um, but 
I don't know. I'd be I'd be excited. I, I know Meister comes back. Meister's around a lot in Marvel. He dies at the end of this. I actually like the way he dispatches him, which is he sends him through the time yeah. machine to the explosion of the gamma bomb, like at it's very poetic. Zero. Yeah, which is which is fun. Um, and oh oh well, one other thing I do have to mention, like it it is a little icky, but also just kind of like yeah, I guess it's what Hulk would do of just having like a million sex slaves, right? Mm-hmm. What, that you know, and it's clearly like, oh, he's gross and bad, right? At least the comic, yeah. like the tone of that, is like damning him for this, and you're supposed to, you know, cringe at what he's doing. What, like, I don't know if you're supposed to cringe at is that Maestro breaks Hulk's neck, so he's bedridden, and then just sends a woman, a sex slave, in Ooh, to like very creepy have sex with him, and like, and it's portrayed as like, I'm killing him with kindness. I'm gonna like be really yes. nice to him, and basically like, and get him laid, and it's like, no, like. Men yeah, get sexually assaulted. Creepy. It's this weird, it, like it's got that vibe of like, yeah, like he literally be, right? like yells like, no, right? But, and it's but then very the future, uncomfortable. Yeah, and but like I don't, I don't think the comic is reading it as sexual assault. I no, think I don't the comic think it is, is. Reading it as like a power play where he's just like, yes, you know, giving him you know like treats that he doesn't actually want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? no, it is definitely like I, I agree with you that I don't think the comic quite understands what it is doing there. Yeah. Um, and if it does, then it doesn't address it in a way that makes it seem like it's a mature <laughs> look at the situation. No, certainly not. It's just kind of cast off, right? Um, yeah, it will be interesting to see Peter David uh, progress too, right? Like he wins, an, he won um, like a Glad Award, like a decade, two decades later, right? And, like mm-hmm. he's kind of known as, I, I think. My, my understanding, he's kind of known as a, a like pretty progressive writer I mean, like, as he goes on. Yeah, um, mixed bag. Yeah, there. yeah. Like, right now, yeah. mixed bag for sure. Not like egregious, but also like some issues, you know. Mm-hmm. I, uh, but like I know later on, um, he gets he gets a lot of praise for like bringing in LGBT characters and yeah, issues sure. and stuff for that. So and for like I think of being like the thing that like like understanding that Peter David's a mixed bag. Um, the thing that has always stood out to me with his work is how quickly he adapts to the times mm-hmm. that he's writing in. Sure. Like, I don't think a lot of writers have that uh, or have had careers as long as his because he just looks at the new style and then he goes there. Sure. I mean, because he's going to write X Factor for a couple years here, right? Like, he's he's not on X Factor too long, like three, four years, something like that. But then he picks up X Factor again in... A second, let me actually pull this up because I do want to have this specifically. Um, yeah, he's on it for three years until issue eighty nine, and then he starts again in two thousand six and goes until two thousand thirteen, right? Like that's a long run for you know. I, I'm I, I know people generally like it, <clears throat> and oh, and then he goes till two thousand fifteen with all new X Factor, another twenty issues. So like, he does something like eighty, ninety issues of X Factor. I'm assuming that you know s- someone who's washed up and still stuck in there you know, glory days is not going to get 90 issues of a popular comic yeah. in the uh, 2010. So, um, and like, even just thinking about like throughout, like even throughout a decade, how much has changed with the way like dialogue, like mm. how much dialogue is expected to be on a page now. Yeah. Um, it's changed a lot. And just being able to adapt to that, I think is um, pretty uncommon for, for comic writers. He, he certainly, <clears throat> he doesn't feel as nineties, in like in his like formal choices, yeah. As a lot of writers do, like he doesn't feel like the image guys in the way that he writes comics, and he doesn't feel like the Bronze Age like Claremont style of writing comics or Simonson's. 
style of like the actual way he writes a comic. Like some of the themes and some of the like topics he touches on and the way he handles stuff, yeah, still seems rooted in the '90s. But the actual like formal storytelling choices, I think, do feel pretty <clears throat> fresh and modern. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to keep reading uh, what he does. I you know what it's um yeah it's a good counterpoint to someone like Liefeld or even John Byrne, right? Liefeld, who yeah. I don't particularly like. Um, who also now is still writing comics just like he did in the 90s and is obsessed with the fact that, like, the, you know, the years I was writing X-Men are the years that X-Men was great. And everyone and it, else is terrible. Right, like, he literally just tweeted today something mm-hmm. about, like, you know, the, whatever. Call, calling back to the heyday of X-Men, which is, you know, where it was just, like, very, very simple, you know, whatever. The stuff he was writing, which I don't think is particularly engaging. Or, like, John Byrne who I really love in the 80s. Like, I love a ton of his stuff in the 80s, and he is also stuck in that mode where yeah. he's, like, everything he has done in the last 20 years, at least, is very, like, you know, he kind of refuses to, you know, move on from uh, from what comics used to be, which is, yeah, disappointing. It is interesting. It makes me wonder if that kind of thing is more common in comics than in other, than in other like, mediums and Dave genres. Dave and I have talked about this a lot. Maybe, actually, you have some insight into this. I wonder what you think. Because... Very few comic writers have a really long career. Yeah. I think it's really hard. Like, Alan Moore is, like, the one we could think of who goes from, like, a, a, you know, more or less lifelong career of doing good, consistent work and didn't just peter out, you know, in their their old age, right? Which is really strange because that's not the way it works in other art, right? Like, filmmakers, like, filmmakers often still are doing great work in, you know, from their 30s, all the Martin Scorsese... From his 30s right. to his 80s is doing incredible yes. work. David Lynch, right? Like, there are filmmakers who do great work throughout their whole work. Novelists, you know? Like, novelists work into their senior years and often still put out, like, some of their best work. So, like, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Like, do you think there's something... My like, instinct would work? be that it's because it's a shrinking industry with, like, an audience that has shrunk a lot. Like, growing up, like, comics were... Like, you know, they sold millions and millions of copies and everybody read them pre-television and the the introduction of television into homes. And then, so that's where, when people would be growing up at like the quote unquote heyday of the popular, the popular and like cash side of comics. Mm -hmm. Then everything became super specialized. Speaking back to that heyday, like the, like, I feel like a lot of it's a nostalgia factor Mm -hmm. of like, well, this is back when it was good and then it kind of became hyper specialized and then it exploded out again in the way that like film whether or not like i mean film also has its changes but like people still watch movies whether or not like they watch them at home or at the movie theater like film is still a thing that exists whereas like something like superhero comic like you're selling what two hundred thousand copies a month of Maybe. like some yeah. titles, right? The bi- the biggest titles, yeah, right? Yeah. Versus like the millions that that used to sell. So like, because you're writing to a specialized audience, I don't know. I feel like there's just a well, lot it's, of it's like it's not even because for me, like I just think of the people who are still working, right? Like mm-hmm. Frank Miller still does work, and Frank Miller in the '80s was just this like fountain of creativity, and like yeah. that stuff still reads today just as like it's just as energetic and just as engaging as it was i'm sure when it came out right like his daredevil run and his batman stuff like i i think it's still really engaging but when he writes stuff today like he just did that um superman yeah. one i think yeah it's fine right like it's it's not 
bad in, but it's like I, I don't know like there there's just something to oh i think people... i think i know what my opinion is now <laughs> my okay. opinion is back then when frank miller was doing his early stuff he was responding to everything else that was coming out at the time mm-hmm. and i think frank miller now is responding to everything that was coming out at that time still sure and like mm. i don't know i don't think he's reading current stuff i don't think a lot yeah. of these kind of giants of the 80s are reading current stuff and so anything they turn yeah. out feels dated especially if you're still just working in superheroes right because yeah. alan moore I, I think alan moore's stuff in the 2010s was still like fresh and you know like maybe not the highs that he was hitting in the 80s and early 90s but like i still think very good stuff but he's not doing superhero work Right, like yes, still, and Alan not... Moore is like a person who does not seem tied down in nostalgia, right? Like, well, except he's... when he does. Like, I mean, he gets tied down in nostalgia of like pulp, you know, yes, pulp yes. comics from the '30s, and that's what he's that's responding true. to. Like Tom Strong, but that is all feels just... fresh to us. Right, it doesn't yeah. feel like it's a copy of like the '80s. Yeah, I guess th- that's a good point. Like he, he's just kind of doing his. Very he's drawing from different thing. sources. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it feels like someone... I mean, it's the, the stuff like Frank Miller. What's engaging about Daredevil is it doesn't... Like, it's responding to superhero comics, but it also feels like it's responding to all the things that he was fascinated at the time. When you read, like, his interviews, mm-hmm. he's just like... He's reading a lot of psychology, and he's just like... Yeah. I'm obsessed with psychology right now, and I'm trying to integrate that into my comics. I'm obsessed with, like these you know aspects of society and thinking about them and i'm obsessed with this form of movie and i'm trying to mm-hmm. like you know translate to that page whereas like you read his current superman stuff and you're like yeah you're writing superhero comics right? yeah i think that's what you need like um i, w- I interviewed sergio aragonas once from mad magazine and he was talking about how um like early superhero comics versus current superhero comics like the early superhero creators were reading other stuff. They mm-hmm. were watching movies and like yeah. taking from mythology. And whereas like a lot of the stuff that came later, they were reading superhero comics. So it felt yeah. like a photocopy of a photocopy, right? I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think that all the time where it's just like, I, I think really successful genre work, you, you can like tell when someone is just like a well-rounded person who's really interested in a lot of things, mm-hmm. right? And they're bringing that into the genre, integrating that and like expanding the genre by integrating in the outside world instead of like you said yeah photocopy of photocopy is a really good way yeah because so many comics do just feel like they are like i'm writing a superhero comic and it is like the platonic ideal of that you know even if it's not ideal but it's like you know i i am just like continuing that tradition as close hewing as close to that tradition as i possibly can and i think that you know really makes for some stale work yeah Um, for sure i I don't even know how we got on this because i don't think Oh, because we're talking about Peter David being able to adapt. Yeah, right, yes. Think, yeah. Yes. Um, well, cool. Uh, I think that's going to do it for the episode today. Do you have any closing thoughts on the on the, the comics for today? Um, I think that the 90s are a weird time for comics. Very, <laughs> that's my closing weird. thought. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to read. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of strange stuff uh, coming up. But uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think uh, we're about to hit the, the image guys all leaving which will be a, a big change. And then the like bankruptcy of Marvel and watching like the entire thing. You know, we go from like having to trim down 60, 70 issues to like, I think Dave's like, you know, struggling to find like 30 to read in a year because That's they, wild. their output just like diminishes so hugely in a couple of years. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to keep reading and uh, I'm so glad you could join us today. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Wanna, you want to remind people where they can find your work? 
Oh, where does uh, exploding yeah. arrow come from? It's a really cool um, handle. I'm, I'm it's kind of inspired by Hawkeye, actually. Um, oh, I feel really? Like he, yeah, I feel like he does have an exploding arrow, but now that oh, I'm saying it aloud, I'm like, maybe I made that up. Oh, he's, he certainly um, does. Yeah. Okay, so it's from Hawkeye. Um, so, so that's where that's from. But so you can find me on Twitter at Exploding Arrow. Same thing on Instagram, though I'm not very interesting on Instagram. Um, my website's tiffanybab.com. And then I have a newsletter. So if you type in tiffanybab.com slash putting it together, which is the title of my newsletter, I have a newsletter that comes out every month and I do an essay on a work of art, um, a comic, a movie, whatever, and then update people on my new bylines. And I, uh, I just want to put it, I love your little comics. Your diary oh comics. yes oh that's on my instagram actually yeah i have weekly diary comics that come out on saturdays and you can get that on tapas um which is it's all about me comic or you can follow me on instagram and i tweet them but like you know the twitter algorithm's useless yeah i, I end up seeing them you know when they come out on twitter and then i will go catch up with a couple um yeah anyway uh yeah definitely go like you can also go read her newsletter like past ones Letter twenty two, the one you just put out, I really liked uh, about how oh, to uh, how to like consume art, right? Like in the way to yeah. be, be like a good critic. Um, I thought that was really uh, that was a really good read and very inspiring. Thank you. So. All right. Uh, thank you for all for listening. If you want to support the show, you can give us a review on iTunes. You can head over to patreon.com slash year and back us there. Music uh, for this episode, our theme music is by Disasterpiece. And you can find me at year on Twitter. Uh, I think that's going to do it. Thank you all for listening and see you next year. Oh, can you say see you next year? Okay. See you next year. Thank you. <laughs> I forgot to tell you that. <laughs> it works. You know, this is what editing's for. Yep, exactly.